are in the Grotto Pod. <clears throat> we are in the Grotto Pod, a place of throat clearing. I am Larry Rosen. Bridget Quinn is my co-host. Welcome to the Grotto Pod. Today, today our guest is Eden Lepucky. Was. Was. We're, we're in a little uh, change of pace here. We're recording mm-hmm. after... Eden spent a very pleasant, oh. uh, dare I say, glorious hour with us. She never once complained about the heat. She didn't, and it wasn't just because of her kicky new hairstyle either. Oh my God, her hair. I want to cut my hair now. Literally. It was cute as can be, uh, yeah. and she, let me say this about Eden Lepucky, best-selling, New York Times best-selling author, yeah, uh, author of uh, California, which was a New York Times bestseller, uh, which we'll discuss, uh, which we discussed length. at great length during the podcast, and Woman Number Seventeen, which is being released the same day as this podcast, May 9th. We feel Kismet. really psyched about that because and, you know what? I do think, even though you know it's really hard to have your second novel come out when mm-hmm. the first one's been a big success, mm-hmm. I loved. Woman number 17. I thought it was a great read. A great read. It was fantastic. And I, I give it my highest praise. It was very easy to read, hard yep. to put down. That, I hard think there is down. no higher praise. And because it was hard to put down, there was a little bit of a snafu to start today's <laughs> podcast, which is why we're recording this afterwards. we're so pro. We're such professionals. Normally, we're here with plenty of time. We record the intro. Yeah. We go get the person. Yeah. I was late. No, no, I wasn't late. I thought the recording was an hour later. I would have been here on time, however, had I not been engrossed in woman number 17 and thinking, I want to get this done, and I didn't get it done, which is too bad. But I will give this to Eden Lepucky, uh, famous, which we'll talk about why in a moment. Mm -hmm. Very gracious. Didn't mind that we were late. So easy going. Even though she has to be in the East Bay to pick up her daughter from school. That's the kind of thing that used to just stress me out to no end. I would have been looking at my watch constantly. She didn't was, look at her watch once. She was like, nope, I just have to be done by this time. And then she was just in it. You know what? She's done a little bit of press, I'm guessing. She's done a little bit of press. It and that's feel, It didn't feel stiff that way. One though. of the things we talk about is my phone ringing, and I don't know okay. who that is, so I'm just going to hang it up. Isn't everyone you know here? <laughs> For the most part. Everything um, matters. Uh, one of the things we talk about on this podcast uh, is something that happened after Eden's first book, California, uh, I'll let her tell the story later, but the upshot is she received a ton of publicity in a very short period of time. Um, and Are there people who don't know the story of California? I didn't know the story of it before oh, I saw her um, introduce Ethel at a reading. Um, for Ethel's uh, Ethel's The Weight book, of Him. Yeah, for Ethel's The Weight of Him oh, um, right. launch party. Um, so we talk a lot about uh, the, the challenges that that brings. Um, when you're not expecting it. Like to go from... Uh, debut novelist. Uh, she did. Ha- she had had a novella out. She had a novella, um, which you know, not generally in America, a big selling right art form. Uh, 2010s, if you're not yet like me, right. And uh, then she has a debut novel coming out. Didn't know what to expect, and bam, she is, uh, you know, all over the news. Yeah, and um, you know, and, and she had some some issues that she speaks of of feeling like, well, am I worthy of this? Because it was mm-hmm. kind of a fluke, really, the way it got. Kind of a fluke. It was a fluke. It was literally the hand of God reaching mm-hmm. down from heaven, and Stephen Colbert, who was Catholic, right? And God, in this case, taking the form of Stephen Colbert. Correct. Um, but you know, imagine someone plucking your book from obscurity and holding it up to their gigantic yeah. audience, and not just showing the book, not just showing the cover, but saying. Buy this book. Not just once. It was a campaign, basically, a campaign. That, that he put on. And so we talk a lot about how that felt and, and moving forward, how it impacted uh, writing her second book 
and just really, you know, Eden, she's a pro. She, yeah, she is. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about how she, you know, self-identified as a writer very early. She knew she wanted to be a writer. It's what she's been doing. It's all she's been doing other than raising two uh, children. Well, she teaches. And teaches, yeah. She yeah. did start the... Uh, the LA Writing Workshop, something I might have... Uh, writing up. Workshops in Los Angeles. Writing Workshops in Los Angeles. Very close. And she is an LA, LA writer, I would say. She's an LA person. She's an L.A. person. But yeah. apologetically. Yeah. Likes herself some L.A., which is awesome. I know. It's great. It's nice. And, you know, she referenced Joan Didion once mm-hmm. uh, in our interview, but the person she reminds me of most Carolyn is C. Carolyn C., who well, I love. I don't think it's hyperbole to say that, you know, it's early. It, put it in sports terms. You know, she's yeah. played a couple good seasons. But yeah. if she keeps this up, I could see her as part of the, the canon of California writers. Oh, for I mean, sure. Because definitely California is a character in her books. And then wouldn't it have been prescient to name her first novel California? Yes, mm. it would have. I definitely see a dissertation here. <laughs> so that's how it went. Normally, this is the point where we say, uh, let's go get her. Yeah. But we already got her. She's gone. It's already She's done. She's in the East Bay by now. So why don't you sit back uh, and enjoy uh, Eden Lepucky and us discussing uh, California, Stephen Colbert, and her new book, Woman Number 17. You're going to like this. Lepucky. I know that because like I listen to... Because like I listen to... Stephen Colbert. Right. But I wasn't sure if Colbert was... <laughs> it sounds honest. like he's making a joke, but that's my name. <laughs> <laughs> that's like a, maybe Colbert. I just don't know. There are yeah. some Colberts. There are some Colberts. It's a different thing. Eden Lepucky, welcome to the Grotto Pod. Thank you for having me. Hooray! <clears throat> so Eden is the... Uh, well, we would have said this in the intro. We're saying it now. We're saying it now. Larry, Eden has a book coming out. Oh, sorry. I interrupted you. I do this regularly. Today... Because this is going to go up on the day that your book comes oh, out, good. May 9th, right? <laughs> Look at her face. I was like, it's today. Oh. No, it's May 9th, right? Okay, yeah, it's coming out May 9th. So we're going to post this on May 9th, so it'll be corresponding to the day your book comes out. Okay. The book is called Woman Number 17. Oh, you are in for a treat. We are going to spend a lot of time talking about this book, but before we get there, we want to start at the beginning. As, as one will. As one will, but I don't necessarily know if I need to go back to the womb. Um, Why not? Uh, well, every man. Has, remember Woody wow. Allen used to say, I have a desire to go back to the womb, anyone's? Okay. That's so disturbing now, given current context mm-hmm. for that quote. It is true. I don't know what to say. So you're sort of getting our intro with you in the room. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what we need to say, is that we're so pro, um, generally, and yet we sort of messed up the time. So... Uh, we did not have a chance to record the intro ahead of time. So we're going to in- record the intro after our interview. Right. And as I said before, interview. we could have started on time, yet I was late because I was reading this book that I couldn't put down. It's true. This called is not Woman Number smoke. 17. No, it is not blowing smoke. Thank you. I would say that my experience so far, and I'm about halfway through, my experience has been, you know, when you go to see a band or comedians and you see the opening act, you're like, oh, they're pretty good. But I came to see this band, you know, and then... The second act might be good, and you're like, I wonder if the headliner will be that much better, if I'll be able to tell. And then the headliner comes on, and like, oh, boy, yeah, I know. So I'm the first act. No, you're the headliner. <laughs> you're the headli- so who are the first acts in this metaphor? Uh, I guess that would be us. Oh, no, no, not again. I'm dissing myself about- mostly, but no, no. I'm also sweating profusely. And so I, one of my biggest questions for Eden, actually, having read this new book, which I have to say I absolutely love, 
everything about it. I was completely taken over by it, and I only got it two days ago and could not put it down. You can't see my face, but I'm making an awkward blush smile. <laughs> oh, yay! Well, one would blush here. It's hot. Um, is I don't know how to delicately put this, but uh, your first novel, California, was every writer's dream. And Nightmare. And Nightmare? What's I don't know. That's, what, that's actually what I want to talk about. The idea, so... I didn't want to get there yet, though. No, but I do. Oh, you do? <laughs> no, but you can do what you want. Let me just give a preface before you... I'll let you... Uh, uh, can you let Eden talk? Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you get to the meat of that, but All the right. point I want to make is that you came into writing this novel. You, you had good bona fides. You were Iowa Workshop. You know, you, were, you had written um, a novella. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you also write a novel that was just too far out of left field to get published? Did I yes. read that somewhere? And also, just not good enough. It just wasn't good. I it wasn't good story, enough, actually. and it wasn't commercial enough. So the this combination, the killer combination that everyone's after. It will never be published. No, I have no interest in publishing okay, it. It's it. sort of like I'm proud of it as an artifact of my writing, but I don't think it needs to be published. You know, mm-hmm. maybe someday <laughs> they can. They, where is that place that the, ha- the Harry Ransom Center in Texas? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? No, that, I like don't. David Foster Wallace's ephemera oh. and like Don DeLillo's grocery lists. If someday I have the the career that I would love to have, then they can have it. You know, I'll deign to let them have it. But in the meantime, it's like that uh, that Van Morrison album that got released like way, way late of him. Like, I don't remember. It, it was it was a it was a uh, contractual early. obligation with some like Bang Records, okay. and it's him. You know, he's drunk and he's just and arguing with people. It's not good, but so, it's it's but for it's collectors only. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I think it's interesting. Those kind of things. It's like interesting in the entire oeuvre, if that's the right word, yeah. of somebody. But I don't think as a standalone book, it's at you know, it's. It's, I mean, there's a reason it's not published. Mm-hmm. Some student someday writing their dissertation is going to be thrilled to visit the yeah. Center. <laughs> After they read your letters, which yeah. is going to be harder to do because we don't write letters anymore, emails. But I have a lot of, I have a lot of letters in my files. <laughs> That's awesome. In your permanent files? letter writer. I was. I haven't, in, obviously, in future in recent years, but my husband and I were pen pals. We were friends and pen pals for a long time. So there was Aww. a couple years of letters between us. I have a poet friend that we sometimes write letters to each other. It's lost so art. Those. It really is. It's good to keep them. So you have a novella, you have an unpublished novel. I want to say the name of the novella, If You're Not, uh, if you're not Yet Like Me. If You're Not li- Yet Like Me, 2010? Originally published in 2010 and then re-released by a new press, Novella Press, in 2014 with, with a new cover. In and it. we know why that happened. I know. Hmm. So your first complete novel is California. Yes. It comes out and you have the expectations that I'm sure a lot of people sitting within 100 feet of us have. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll sell 4,000 copies. Maybe oh, I'll sell 10,000 oh, copies. Right. That'd be awesome. That'd be amazing. Maybe critics will like it. I read that you had said that. I was hoping for critical success. Yes. Now, tell us what happens next. Um, well, about, let's see, in that came out in July of 2014, and I believe it was May when my publisher, Hachette, Little Brown is mm-hmm. an imprint of Hachette, got into this boring contract dispute with Amazon. And Amazon, as a way to apply pressure to Hachette to go their way in the dispute, um, removed all the pre-order buttons from Hachette titles. So nobody could pre-order any book. Just out of spite? I think just to be like, well, look how much power we have in uh, us more than we need. And you as I'm sure everyone knows, but just in case you don't, pre-orders are everything. Yes. Well, so they say. I'm like, who pre-orders books like regularly like that? I don't, I don't shop online for books, so that's kind oh, of my problem. That's it's good different. I do. Yes. I mean, I was kind of, besides the fact that my I husband works myself. for Goodreads, which is owned by Amazon, I, that's was a, right. I was a good poster child and that I 
worked at independent bookstores and I don't shop at Amazon, right. I'll sometimes buy something. Like I had to buy my son a Speedo on Amazon because American companies don't sell Speedos for boys. <laughs> but otherwise, I don't buy books on Amazon. Um, so then I'm freaking out because, you know, they publishers like everybody needs to pre-order. And if your book isn't on Amazon, it kind of it doesn't exist, basically. Well, what I've heard is that booksellers are looking at the pre-orders. Yes. Is that everybody true? uses yeah. Amazon. I mean, I just to know how much to order. Right. Yeah. I just, it's a good, I mean, they have a great, great search engine, so everyone's right, using it, even course. if you're not shopping there. Yeah. Um, and so I was freaking out. Um, and then... Some by some amazing. I am a lucky person. Okay, so I, hold on a second, though. You said you were freaking out. So at this point, you're just like, oh, it's just not going to sell. Well, yeah, you know, you go into it. You're ready to do everything that everyone asks of you. And I was pretty happy about how the book was doing by then. You know, it had been on some summer lists, and I felt like it looked really good, and I, I was excited. I, mean, I didn't have any like star reviews, pre-pub, like Publisher Weekly reviews, mm-hmm. but they were all positive. Um, Except Kirk has called it flabby, which was really weird. You'll never get it when they call things flabby. They had had an extended metaphor about flabby, like a fat, like a fat metaphor. But I was like, it's not even about weight or body issues. So it seems weird (coughs) to have this metaphor. Anyway, I digress. So I know I felt good about it. But then I was like, okay, so I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, and then this could actually totally derail my entire career. And I saw other authors whose books were coming out before mine. Their books were really suffering. Books I thought would have been much bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember Megan Abbott's book was coming out, The Fever, and she's a, a terrific writer of like a literary mystery sort of books, often about teenage girls. Anyway, I remember her book was coming out, and I was so pissed on her behalf. I was like, her book's about to be out, and you can't get it on Amazon. I would be so yeah, like flipping out. I'm terrifying. And, and, and now you have skin in the game too. Yeah. So and there was another author whose books were affected too. Yes, his name was Stephen Colbert. <laughs> <laughs> was published Which, by Hachette. Yep. And so he was. He decided to make something of it on his show, and he decided to have um, Sherman Alexie come on, because I guess Sherman had Yay. been on his show before and is really, as you know, charismatic, I'm telegenic. So funny. So funny. Such a great speaker, And I think, yeah. and also Sherman Alexie is published by Little Brown, so he could sort of, they could have a conversation about it, and they decided it would be good if Sherman Alexie promoted a book on Colbert that you could not order from Amazon. And what's really funny is he had decided he was going to promote two books. One was a children's book, and I, to this day, don't know what that book was. Mm-hmm. And one, and the other book was going to be my book. And they told me this, and then at the end of the day, they said, actually, they decided to just promote the children's book. And I was like, oh. And then they called me the next day, and they're like, no, they're not promoting that book. They're promoting <laughs> your book. And so it was like this roller coaster oh, promotion. So you knew ahead of time. It wasn't a like fluke. It wasn't a total shock. No, I knew like 24 hours that it was going to happen, and then I knew about 10 hours that it was going to happen. But even at that point, oh, I was like, the they might coaster. not say it. I mean, I, you yeah, never did, know. And did you know... I mean, you were familiar with the kind of shtick Colbert was doing, yes. so you knew he could be standing on a table screaming. Yes, I knew something was going to yeah. happen. And then after, then my publicist was in the audience and was like, they definitely announced it. it's definitely going to be on the show, but you can't tell anyone except like your mom. So it <laughs> happened, and I was, I mean, it's really a bizarre moment to have your name said aloud by oh my gosh. two famous people, and then my book was up there. I think my photo might have been yeah, no, up no, there. Your yeah, photo your photo was, was right up there. next to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so crazy. And it's all I could think of was- You watch that footage, too? You, oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I went oh, back oh, and I watched. when it happened- vaguely hearing about it, but this was the first time I watched it. And all I could think about was Eden had a novella out before this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just how shocking that really moment crazy. from, you know, a publication to being on Stephen Colbert. Like that's And that's the really the stuff I want to delve into. But yeah. go ahead and, and tell what happens so next. then I I've told this before, but I really was like, oh, they're gonna sell like four hundred copies. There's no way to know. 
no, I think I said 40 copies and my husband said, oh, 400. And then they had sold like 2,500 within two hours or something and it just got crazier. Um, and it really, what's actually the most scary thing that happened was that I realized how little all the other publicity was adding up to. Uh, it was like the know. ultimate viral video. Yeah. And then suddenly I was, you know, and you could tell when the publishers like, you're hot shit suddenly. Like, like oh, we want to have a call with you and the blah, 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 about how we can leverage. Blah, you're blah. like, oh, yeah, we need a call. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you can put your agent on now. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it was just a really, str- I mean, it was so You know surreal. what struck me? As so um, disconcerting on a certain level. Well, the opposite side of that was I was so stoked for you thinking, oh, my God, you know, career made. What a great thing. And it's a great book. So people are going to be reading it. But these are all people who are buying it only because someone right. told them to. Because yeah. like, he made it a campaign. Right. And he yeah. just said, let's show Amazon up. Let's put this on the New York Times bestsellers list. So. Right. Did you worry? I mean, it, it could have been it could have been a repair manual. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, it's funny. Sometimes I'll, not that I spend my time doing this, but if one were to look at bad review, reader reviews of five books, That's what I was you can say people there like, Stephen Colbert, he has the worst taste. Why would he? And I'm like, well, he didn't read the book. Sherman Alexi read the book. And, and he has good it. taste. Yeah, yeah, I know. Rest assured. Yeah. And it was kind of interesting because that book, I am proud of that book, but I also feel like it's a weird book in that it's a quote-unquote post-apocalyptic novel, but if you're expecting that straight away you are not going to like this book you're going to be as some people on amazon are like why is this woman going on and on about this turkey baster that she's hiding in her room i feel like it's a domestic drama that's really what it is it's just set in a post post post-apocalyptic world yeah so i almost feel like if i don't know it's interesting like if i had a different kind of book and had that many readers would have gotten even bigger i don't know well, I just don't think it it has it had the wide appeal that well, I wished it would have presented. It's not that those people necessarily bought the book, read it, and said to their ten friends, yes. "Oh mm-hmm. my god, that's you what have you have to read that's, this book. That's what you need." That's yeah. a good point. But yeah. out of you know, so in the end, do you know how many copies were sold? Somebody asked me this the other day. I have not. I don't know. Um, I'm. I know it's like over a hundred thousand. Including paperbacks. Wow. And if you had originally... I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I just said that out of my mouth. I was like, that's you, not real. It's out there now. Amazing. And if you that's had exciting. originally sold 10,000... I remember my dad wanted to help me get on the New York Times bestseller list. And he said, well, how many do you have to sell? And I was like, well, you have, it depends on how many, what other books are out at the same time. But I was like, if we can get a cool 8,000, done. So out of those 100,000 people, at least 8,000 loved it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's give them that. Let's, let's give, give them that. that. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Okay, but so here's my question now. As someone struggling with this a little bit and on something so minuscule compared to the scale that you were facing, you have this gigantic book that you weren't expecting to be necessarily be yeah. gigantic. I mean, uber gigantic. And now you have to write another novel. <laughs> I was going to get to that later. So? I'm just behind. I'm, I'm like a well, step behind today. It doesn't have I, to be. Where did, where did you want to go? I've already asked. First, that. I wanted to talk about the initial... You know how it feels. It hit the hit the ground running, and I thought you were going to talk about the struggles with promotion. And I was going to bring up that you had to sign ten thousand books in three days. Oh, oh, you have all kinds of stuff going, going on. Going yeah, into it. Yeah. Um, okay, so the ten thousand books in it's three days. I, I had I signed all okay. the copies that were pre ordered through Powell's bookstore, which Stephen Colbert. That was the book he told them to go there and buy it. Yeah, and I signed those so fast because I have a horrible, sad little e signature that takes literally like one second to do. So like, I signed like them. initials, huh? But did you get Pretty much. But it's only really the E and then the little. With a period or no period? Oh, no period. Sometimes the I has the... What? Carpal tunnel? No, sometimes, occasionally I would like forget 
it's like when you say a word too many times, oh, you start right. to feel yes. Okay, but here's why but I bring it was that. Easy. Here's why I bring that up though. Um, it's great. It's fantastic. Ten thousand books, boom, out the door. But is there a part of you that thinks, well, you know, signing books and saying to so and so and handing it to him yes. is kind of fun? No, I got to do that too. You did, yes, because then they because it was going on Colbert, I got this huge tour. I mean, it was ridiculous, you guys. I got to go on this big tour. <laughs> we always Yay. talk about writer famous. You were actually famous. I know, <laughs> famous, famous. I'm not, people, that's like something like my aunt says. You're famous. You're famous. Not really. It is something your aunt says. Think of me as your bald aunt because. You're one of those people, when people say, have you ever heard of, they have, actually. The very few literary novels you're, people have heard of. You're a writer my wife would have heard of. Yeah, there you and go. And she doesn't read literary fiction. <laughs> it helps that I have a weird name, too. It does. Actually. Which is weird to me, because if it was pronounced differently, it could sound very Jewish. It could. If Edan Lepicki? Well, Edan is an Israeli name right. for boys. I know a lot of Edan, so. yeah. Well, not a lot, but some. One or two. Huh. One or, okay, none. But. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyways, you got to go on Colbert. I got to, and I got to go on Colbert, which everyone... You had the spanks going. You had the I hair had the all done up. <laughs> I mean, that... After it was done, I wanted to do it again. It was so yeah, fun. And I thought... But terrifying. Oh my God. But before that, oh. I, I lost like three pounds just not eating. Because you're nervous? I, so I would start eating and then remember that I had to go on TV and just stop eating. Wait, did you have kids yet? Yes, I had a son. That must have been stressful. Yes, I did because you didn't have it set. Your life wasn't set up necessarily to yes. for this sort of disruption. Exactly. He was back home in LA, and it was. Okay. I just abandoned him for a couple. Of gotcha. Weeks. Uh, kind of a dumb question. Actually, for a year afterwards, he kept being like, "Are you? Do you have to go back on tour, Aww. mommy?" <laughs> um, part, during the interview with Colbert, he wants you to tell him the end of the book, and yeah. he leans over very closely to you. What does he smell like? Cologne? Oh, I don't even shampoo he seems like he'd smell very clean doesn't he i think he, he smells very nothing. clean nothing no, he had no odor no odor that makes sense. and also he's such a nice person Everyone so i heard your besties yeah your buddies actually besties? really no. I, could I you text like, him right now i wish i might i'm i would like to go on a show again oh uh, yeah you're listening stevie yeah. Steve, i'm available steven um, his new show that'd be pretty yeah, sweet would be fun shorn of all masks show a yes. nice continuity between his programs. And I don't think he's had any female writers on. I mean, he's only had, like, George Saunders and Stephen. Oh. I'm and oh, horrified. Friends and well, let's be honest. The pool of writers who go on late-night TV is pretty yeah. small. Seth Meyers has got some good... But, but Eden has been on late-night television, and so... That's true. Continue. She's a veteran of late-night television. Yes, you had, In that New York Times article, you... Well, the, let me preface something. There was a New York Times article after all this, and you were quoted as describing your feeling as... Ah, shoot, I didn't write it down, but it was some. I know the word nauseous yeah. was in there. It's called everybody joking at it. That's what I remember. Because I, I, the thing that that I'm interested in here is that there must be this feeling of disorientation. Yes. This isn't how it was planned. It was a disruption. Yeah, you're like a yes. character in a novel about writers. Yeah, so, because I don't think if you write literary fiction, you don't, and the books you like are generally not on the bestseller list. Now, of course, there are exceptions where a book I really like is on the bestseller list, but oftentimes right. it's a book that's doing well, but is not at that level. And how many so, of them are first novels? Yeah, so right. I didn't have that as part of my like fantasy of how right. it was going to go. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it also, of course, there's this immense guilt thinking about all the other authors who were not plucked from obscurity. And I, and, you know, especially... Some but you helped friends. one of them. Didn't you? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Stefan? Of course, his name I wrote. Stefan Eric Clark. Sweetness number nine. So I was able to pay it forward, as they say. But just like this general idea of like, why me versus any other right. writer? And so I was really trying to, you know, 
support my other fellow authors, and everyone was very supportive. I never felt, I mean, I'm sure somebody was talking. You weren't targeted. Shit about me behind my back, but. I've never heard anything bad about you. That's and impossible. No, I feel true. almost disappointed. That <laughs> <laughs> means I'm not pretty enough. Gotta, Damn it. <laughs> you got to up your game. No, really. No, but as soon as you said that, I had this moment of shock, realizing I've only ever heard good things. Well, I try to be nice. Yeah, I think. Well, suddenly there's person. a responsibility. Yeah. You know, especially and if you feel like it's, I'm not going to say unearned, yeah. but, but if I mean, you feel I like really didn't do anything. I mean, I wrote the book and I worked hard, but everybody writes the book and everybody mm-hmm. works hard. Right, so right, right, right. it wasn't as if I felt like I did more. I just simply got totally lucky. Walking four leaf clover. Yes, that's me. And then, of course, I was like, well, I want people to feel like I deserve whatever I get. And I didn't feel like people were saying I didn't deserve it. But of course, there's a part of me that thinks, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldnn't get this if Stephen O'Colbert hadn't said your name. And right, right, right. So then that's a, always like the shadow of it. Right. But for the, I did a pretty good job, I have to say, of just enjoying the ride. What happens the next time you sit down to write? <laughs> well, that's, everyone that is, is my question. That's really where you are going. Most people are, have been really worried about me. Mm. Like people will say that question of like, so now you had this incredibly successful first novel. What are you going to do now? Like, aren't you so paranoid that that's never going to happen again and you'll never I'd live be. up to it and you'll be disappointed and blah, blah, And I actually had started Woman Number 17 way that's before any of this great. happened. That's good. And I actually, I always urge people, that's my biggest piece of advice, after you get that book deal, start that new book. Or as it's out for agent to agents. Start the new book. So I had over 100 pages. Woman number 17 was already whatever crazy book it was going to become. So there wasn't a moment when you sat down and went, okay, this needs to be commercial. No. Well, that wouldn't be, in my mind, that wouldn't be my fear. My fear would be um, not that it has to make as big a splash, but it has to be artistically great. It's got to be great. You can't have the sophomore slump. felt unearned. Yeah. And that maybe felt, not unearned, but But, a surprise that you weren't expecting. And you need to prove, (sighs) you know, I've got it. That's twice that we've said unearned and then very quickly said, I don't want to say unearned. (laughs) But um, (laughs) I just want to say, I really loved California and I freaking love woman number 17 oh, yeah. i think it is a fantastic thank you novel. i'm really proud of it and yeah. i it's very different from california and i'm just glad it that it was already like in the works but that explains california a lot that you out. already had it going yeah and and i have 75 pages of my new book or so no, 68 smart 68 <laughs> approximately it's like saying you're trying women to get always to page, know exactly i'm trying to get to page 75 not just women okay. um well that may be true um, can i say one more thing and you I've can say already, as much I've as you want told eden this but um the book reminded me just in an elusive way of one of my favorite books the handyman by carolyn c and which i haven't read we are i know read and i'm kind of thrilled to hear that because now you get to read it oh, that's that was it feeling. that was it and and now is is yeah, it the love that writer and that's now, I, I unfortunately so didn't read California, but I'm reading this, and it's about California. Mm-hmm. And Carolyn C. wrote about California, too. Wasn't she a favorite daughter? Yeah, I mean, and I, she also taught at UCLA. I know that you don't exactly <laughs> teach at UCLA, but you kind of do. I just, I think you're going to be amazed when you read her work that there is something in the water, in a way, yes. because you haven't read her. That's well, I was, I was telling her that I had picked up two Carolyn C. books just this last weekend, and I opened them, and I read the openings, and I thought, I think she's an influence of mine, but so. I haven't read her before. <laughs> but, Maybe it had filtered down through yeah, someone I mean, else. I was saying, like, yeah. I know a lot of writers who really admire her work, and so obviously they are influenced by her, and I'm influenced by them, so right. there you go. So... Should we get to the new book? Are you ready to get to the new book? Yeah, I mean that was that was my biggest question about the new book was you know how did you how did you not let artistic anxiety take you over? And even if you had it started, um, 
I could use advice on that. On that <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, score. Even those of us who have not yet published novels could use that advice. <laughs> Everybody can use that advice. <laughs> I, you know, I think I suffer. I mean, everybody suffers from that, right? This notion of like, oh, I'm just horrible, and mm-hmm. why do I have the right to say to pub- to publish a paragraph, let alone a book? Um, I'm pretty like a day at a time, just get the words down workhorse, which doesn't really leave much room for like, what does it all mean? And who mm-hmm. am I? And am I good enough? I think considering the book is about mothers and daughters in some ways, my mom is kind of like that. Where She's like this incredibly efficient machine. She'll like make an entire meal in front of you and you don't even like see it happen. <laughs> um, Slight of hand. Yeah, it really is like, and there won't be any, like the kitchen is just but there is there, that's another generation of women. They are amazing to yeah. me. <laughs> but then I go to other people's houses and I'm like, why is your mom so messy? Like, where is your yeah, efficient you, machine? Oh, okay. Um, so I don't know. I, and I think that she has a quality that I have inherited, which is you don't procrastinate and you just sit down and do it no matter what it is. Let that's me suggest the best advice. Well, let me suggest ever. one other thing too. Um, you know, actually, I'll just ask you how long have you, how long has it been since you considered yourself anything other than a writer? Oh. I've been writing forever. That's what I thought. It seemed like you, you sort of identified early. Yes. You know, that's the only thing I've ever wanted to be. I mean, when I had a child, I almost had like a nervous breakdown because I was like, who am I now? And I never really thought about <laughs> yeah. I decided I wanted to have a child about a year before I actually had a child. But I wanted to be a writer since I was a reader. So, What were you reading as a little kid? What um, stuff? Judy Bloom, Babysitter's oh, yeah. Club, very, just realism. I just sneak that <laughs> stuff out of my sister's room. You did, yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, Sensitive young guy. Yeah, good stuff, too. Yeah. I mean, Babysitter's Club, not as good as Judy Bloom, but... Judy Bloom is so good. She's so good. It's incredible. I, I think of a lot of the children's literature that I read as a kid that I was... I mean, A Wrinkle in Time mm-hmm. and uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, all of the, you know, yeah. that stuff. It's so good. When yes. I go back... When I went back and read it with my kids, to be blown away that it really... It, it holds up. It holds it's up. It's just crafted. It's See, it's as a, as a boy... Yeah. I would, I mean, yes, I stole the Judy Bloom books out of my sister's room and maybe the, who was it, Harold Robbins out of my grandmother's oh, shelves? Oh, yeah, I stole those too, yeah. But it was mostly sports books, huh. like sports biographies. That's what I grew up reading. So I could have gone anyway. Um, everyone who's sitting in this office probably had a moment, <laughs> not just this broom closet, but this oh, office. <laughs> no, not this. This is not an office. Okay, I no, I do sometimes I, work in here. That made me laugh. Okay, yeah had a moment when they were younger where they were singled out for their writing, mm-hmm. where they said, oh, maybe, maybe I am pretty good at this. How, and so when did that happen for you? And how much did it happen? Let me see. Well, I, I always went to public school in L.A., and so it wasn't like... Which ever, part of L.A. did you grow up in? I grew up in, like, pretty central L.A. Like, what is that even South mean? Central? You Not grew up South in South Central? Central? Um, Melrose and Fairfax. Oh. So, I don't know what you want to call that. It's close to where Joe... Hence the Israeli is. first name. Yes, yes exactly. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, definitely in high school, I had a couple teachers who were really supportive of me, and I... I was part of a magnet, but not. there were two magnets in my school, and one of the magnets, you had to do a senior project. I wasn't in that magnet, but I did one anyway because I was a dork, and I did a poetry collection, which was called uh, Splintered Hips in the Poem Emporium. Oh, that right? is a good, Isn't that a good Ooh, high yeah. And then my yes. teachers were just really encouraging, and they encouraged me to go to Oberlin in part because the small you know, one-on-one attention and the English and creative writing departments there. And when I got there, I was really supported by Dan Sean was my teacher there mm-hmm. whose new book is Ill Will and you should get it because it's so good 
They might have suggested you go there because you wouldn't be the only person named Idan. (laughs) (laughs) That could have happened. Um, You're going to work that through the whole podcast, aren't you? I am. It's a a tick. (laughs) It is a shtick, too. (laughs) Um, But he always, he was, Dan really, I think he's one of the main reasons why I continued to write is that as soon as I was in his classes, and he did this with everybody, I don't think it was just me, he was just he just assumed that you were going to keep writing and that you were going to publish. And oh, that that's fantastic. MFA. So he treated you he like a peer. You, yeah, he took you seriously. And I think that that was instrumental in me trying to live up to that, I guess. Well, I can't imagine studying writing out of the gate in college. Yeah. Right. I also was an English major because I felt like okay. you can't only have a creative right. writing major. Come on. And yeah, you could. You could. But, but are you glad you did? I love, I mean, I'm, yeah. I would go back. I have reoccurring dreams that I unearthed, like a course catalog. And I, new co- like college classes to take and stuff. I've been having this too, and I'm afraid it's some kind of bizarre um, procrastination impulse. It just means you love learning. Okay, lifelong <laughs> learner. And, and I would say my my master's creative writing master's taught me how to read as well as write. Yes, I'm not. And I'm not saying anything against creative writing teaching, which I do and love. I just wanted to do a lot of times creative writing classes also focus on contemporary literature, yeah. and there's much more of a sort of close reading, almost like mechanical, like let's go under the hood approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I think some of the English department, there is clo- there is the close reading approach, but then there's also a lot of historical approach. There's the literary theory, narrative theory approaches, all of those that I just love. I could just do it all. So See, I was I'm, happy I'm to afraid if I had had that, I would have found knowing how the what was under the hood really daunting rather than just turning the key and figuring like I can make the shit work. Um that was a Look really at you all, all emboldened to swear after having Joe Loya in here. I know, Joe on. That guy drops F-bombs all like every 30 seconds. Wow. I was kind of inspired by that. Well. <laughs> but um, so feel I, mean, free. I, I admire that you have just this work ethic, no procrastination, and you know, I don't know, narratology and reception theory. and yeah. Because that can really shut people down. I think young people especially. Yeah. I, I think there's two parts of me, especially when I do like an interview where somebody's talking to me about my own book and they've pulled out these what I always call when I'm teaching deeper subjects that I'm like oh I never thought of that when I was writing <laughs> it really is like that when I'm writing I try not to think about the implications yeah. thematic implications well I would think you kind of have to trust yourself yeah, and I think while if you're you writing think too it. much about it then your hand is too strong and I think the work sort of you know Flannery O'Connor says how meaning is accumulated over time in the mm-hmm. text I think that's true and you just have to like step back and let it happen Right, because what you don't want is for the reader to go, oh, I see what she's trying to do here. Exactly. And I think I could write, I mean, I'm sure that if the book weren't mine, I could write a kick-ass paper on it and the themes and the connections, (laughs) but I don't want to, I don't, I want somebody else to find those. Can I say one of my favorite things in the book is how funny and likable these women are? Oh, I haven't heard. I've heard funny, but not likable. Are we talking about the new book now? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Because I know. See, <laughs> People like, Larry, hate them. I know. This is the thing. I, but I don't think you're supposed to hate them. I think. No, I don't either. I mean, I think people don't like women who are complicated mm-hmm. and don't like women who are um, strong willed and yeah. who do stupid things. Whatever. Women are supposed to be perfect in yeah. a way. And what I love about these women is that they are all of those things and also wry and make. Um, Funny comments in the wrong t- at the wrong times. I don't know. I just I really like them both. Even though I feel like in some way I'm not supposed to. I really like them, and I and I identify with both of them in a way that's a little scary. 
Yes. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in a corner now because Bridget just basically said, I don't like them because they're complicated women. <laughs> I mean, I don't often hear that they're likable, even well, now. I know, because I, I can imagine people saying, like, oh, it's very brave to have created characters who aren't likable mm-hmm. or aren't stock likable. I wouldn't say they're unlikable. But that's why I like them. I would say they do some questionable things. Oh, yeah. Sh- I mean, yes. they do some things to they people. Do I mean, stupid and, bad things. And, and those things, uh, I feel like. And just for the uninitiated, uh, woman number 17 has parallel protagonists. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Two points like of view. I don't know. What do you call them? Well, I call them parallel like protagonists because just to offend everyone who lives in a rural area. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, two points of view. Mm-hmm. An older woman and a younger woman. An older woman and a younger woman. I have to, I have to uh, I, I, please. It's my, it's my academic tick that I always want to write down quotes, but this She's one, an academia nut. I, I know. I've been beautiful. The past tense was like a shove to the chest. Oh, that's hard as a woman of a certain age. D'une certaine age. And then, did you study photography in any of your classes, I asked? Nah, mostly your standard paintings by dead guys. I like that. Of course. You know, of course I like that. But just that there's this repartee between them. They're both jockeying for position a little bit and being vulnerable with each other in a way that's... that's they are. Screaming. But of course, you know what my hang-up always is. What is it? Kids who can't trust their parents. Oh. Mm. And... You mean, <clears throat> you mean Seth can't trust Lady? Is that what you mean? Or Actually, that meaning what? I yeah. think Devin can't trust Lady. Oh. Oh, Devin. Yeah. Yeah. And Devin can't... And the father leaves, and I got a problem with that. Yeah. Yeah, but your problem with it is that negate... The pleasure of the story? Absolutely not. Yeah. No, no. In fact, it makes it more compelling. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, I never think about, I mean, it's interesting. I don't think anyone, maybe they do sit down like, I'm going to write a likable ca- a hero. Right. <laughs> that seems like a script writing. That's maybe. old school. Yeah. But yeah. I think there's some, there's some subtler impulse to always want to, I don't know. I, I, speaking of narratology, there was once this great book of narratology I read in the 80s, and it was about poetry and how it works. And I'll never forget this line, you must always resist, or the poet must always resist the false flight upwards. Ooh, and I, I know, I think, and I try to think of that in my own endings because yeah. I have a tendency to want to do that. And I think there is this subtle, maybe subconscious drive in many writers to make the protagonist uh, have unearned Goodwill or yeah. unearned virtue. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe. And that's definitely I, not the case yeah. here. No. I mean, I don't try to make them unlikable, but I do enjoy, particularly in this book, and I would say my novella, in California, people seem to hate Frida, and I didn't mean I to know, make her I bratty, didn't. but I guess I did. Um, but I wanted to write people who were damaged. I thought, I think damage and doing damaging things is so compelling. And also, I wanted to make them vulnerable so that you at times identified with them, at times were appalled by them, right. and then at times sort of understood you wouldn't do that, but you understood why they were doing it. And that I'm just interested in how wounds persist and you you enact certain traumas with other people that you I just think all that stuff is so interesting. And and that's what I mean by saying sorry to interrupt, but that's what I mean by saying it was compelling mm-hmm. because you are right. definitely driven to figure out what the heck and you know, why would they make these decisions. Silence followed what I said. Yeah. Well, no, I'm just thinking about how enjoyable it is to watch people make bad decisions. And it's funny because sometimes I'll read <laughs> like reader reviews. It sounds like I, I do read a lot of reader reviews. I have to admit, I look at them. I'm interesting. Interested. I am interested in them. So many people say they don't. I know. But I, I think, think that other people grew up in families without 
any criticism and they can't handle shit. Yeah. Maybe, or, or do you think they're lying? Or they're lying. I usually, at a certain point, I'll only look at the higher rated ones. Yeah. But for some miracle, this book is getting really good reader reviews. And so I'm sort of fascinated by it because people, even people <clears> who don't <throat> seem to like the characters, can't stop reading. Yeah. And some people are like, these are the weirdest people. And I'm like, are they really that weird? See, and then I, I start to question oh, no. my own upbringing or what I they do. I find them so identified. Oh, yeah. Them. No, I'm I didn't consider them myself. weird. Yeah. yeah. I find them very, like, all to the point of, oh, yeah, in a different lifetime, I was S in a certain way, yeah. you know, many aspects of her or lady. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of the character of Los Angeles? Mm. Oh, well, I love L.A., as you know. I think that's clear, but you also don't <laughs> I also, you don't like Berkeley. <laughs> I know. I hate Berkeley. I love to hate Berkeley, though. Berkeley is so fun to hate. Uh, you, yeah. do, you do a very good job in Berkeley. <laughs> um, but the part of L.A. that I write is actually where my mom lives, and I hate it so much. She lives in the mm-hmm. the, Holly, the quote unquote Hollywood Hills adjacent, and as my brother awesome says, title. it's where garbage people live. What did that used to be called? I don't know. It's off Sunset Plaza, so it's not. It's too. It's like west of Holly, the Hollywood Hills, but it's north, so it's not officially in West Hollywood. Mm. Um, but it's above the Sunset Strip, and it's just this non area where there's just people with money and no taste living up there and it's gotten worse over the years. So my mom's lived there since like 1991 and in the last few years people have been like renting the houses out for parties like oh, parties no. and like people just tear down a house that's totally like the house will be for like five million dollars and have all new everything and somebody will buy it tear it down yeah. and build a new house and then sell it for eight million dollars and you're just like but there's no sense of community it's just a really kind of that's what picky people, but beautiful and strange place and i was like i want to write about this yeah. someday yeah. i never felt my parents were divorced my dad lived at the bottom of the hill they were sort of in two different social classes and I never really felt connected half the time to the place that I lived. I lived in the hills, but it didn't really feel like my house. Mm-hmm. I felt uncomfortable telling people that I lived there because I thought, oh, they're going to just think like I'm this they're rich gonna girl. Judge. Yeah. And but I spent half of my time there, and so I, I think I never wrote about it, but it was always, I guess, in my imagination. But you're kind of writing about it with Lady. I am now <clears throat> because we're yeah, assuming she's not of she, that time. She's only, and I was, I've gotten, um, you know, like I said, started. I'm a little um, past halfway through. Okay. I just got the book Monday. Today is. <laughs> Thursday. Um, Good job. And I was doing the math in my head. I'm like, oh, she's only been living with money for less than five years. Not for very long. And it's giving her anxiety. Yeah. And I think that's part of her kind of crisis of kicking. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to the crisis, but she's, she's kicked her husband Carl out. She's basically on the spiral of self-destruction. And part of it is that I don't think she knows who she is. Are you old enough to know people who have blown up their lives? Like, no, I wish I knew more. I'm right at this time. <laughs> I can't life. wait for my friends to know. Like, I'll so, be like, Lisa sure so to blow up her life. <laughs> shocking when you see it happen. It's going to happen, right? It oh, happens. it totally does. I've been married now. I'm 36. I know. I have freckles, so the skin falls apart sooner. No, um, <laughs> Very youthful. I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> There's a great line in, I think, Visit from the Goon Squad. Jennifer Egan uh, says, like, a man it. is, like, taking in, like, looking at this oh, freckled yes. teenager, yep. and he's like... She has no idea her skin is going to age faster than everyone else's. And I was like, Jennifer, the truth asserts. I digress. But I've been married since I was 25, which seems like a long time to be married Mm, in this day and age. So Mm -hmm. most of my friends are only now or the last couple of years getting married. But 
So the demise is upon at least one of them. It can be shocking. And it's people when people do that. It's probably going to be me. It It might not be you. (laughs) I wrote the book, so it won't be me. Right, you just wrote it out. I have to say, once you experience some levels of this, like you realize there's something in the human psyche that will get to a point in their lives where they're just going to detonate it. Yeah. And I've seen it enough times that it has no logic. It makes no sense. Even the human heart cannot explain. Oh, I think there's logic. The detonation. What is it? Whenever I've seen people do it, it's because one, and we're talking about couples who break up Mm -hmm. where it feels like a death in the family. Yeah. One thought there was more. Yeah. There's got to be more. And mm-hmm. I'm going to go after it. Even if there's nothing, I'm going to figure out if there's more because this ain't enough. <laughs> but I've even seen sense. it where and then you so just go, you know, they leave someone, and this is totally made up, but leave a great long-term relationship, many children, for the ball boy at their, yeah. right. you know, at their club or yeah. whatever because they've decided that is their soulmate. And <clears> when actually, children. that's just how they need yeah. to feel at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's rough, man. It. it is rough. And... There's something in me about ladies' predicament that ah, it's so schadenfreude, but it's like you talk about unearned. That book is unearned. And yeah, you better just crumble. Yeah, so she's on contract to write a memoir about her son. I mean, that's really the catalyst for everything. It's like now you have to write a story of your life, and your life is a lie. Right. (laughs) Go for it. Love it. My son is thin, dark, and he's hairy. So there were some issues reading (laughs) that character of Seth, who's 18 years old, thin. (gasps) Dark. And hairy. And my hairy. husband has a really, he's part of my inspiration. He's pretty hairy. So good to know. Larry's it, hair has come up more than once in our. Uh, you don't lose your hair, you just redistribute it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to say that, you know, this is being revealed by your incisive prose, but. We don't know. It's been here. It's been here on the table. <laughs> I'm afraid. <laughs> so, um,. <clears throat> Dead air. What else do you have? I know. No, I got plenty. There's so much. No, I was just looking at my notes, and you guys are supposed to fill in while I'm looking at my notes. We're supposed to, like, like scat. Thank you. (laughs) They match my book cover. So that's why I got them. They're really cute. Thank you. Coming on the heels of California and all the hubbub that went around it, um, so far, today is the, today, as this is being released, this is the release day, published day. It's such an exciting day. A, what are your expectations? And B, are they being met early on? Oh, my God. Well. Yeah. I used to, I was really sanguine about it for a long time. I was like, well, I already was on the New York Times bestseller list once, so that's done. I don't have to do it again. Because you can always say, New York I, Times yeah, bestseller can't take that away That's what me. Colbert said. Yeah. You yeah. can't take that and yeah. put so, it on your tombstone. Yeah, um, that's good. But I'll be lying if I say I don't want that again. If not this book, another book. Now of that course. I've had it, I want it again. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm definitely, when we recording this, we're about two weeks away from publication date, and I think that's, like, key freak-out time. Oh like, you're just, God. anyone who lives with you is just, like, stop. My husband is probably, not probably, <laughs> definitely over my intense <laughs> analysis of everything that's <clears throat> happening and the paranoia and the, I mean, well, there's obviously th- excitement, but just, like, fear that it's going to flop or that people won't like it or all those stupid. As and fear that people might have it out for you, like you have a target. On right. Yes. That, that I would be. Yeah. As far as the home front goes, though, your husband's in the business. Does, yeah, he, no, does that make it a little easier? Yes, like, what is she doing? No, he's definitely like, I think your numbers are healthy. I think these these reviews have been good. People really love it on Goodreads. Like, he he is keeping me positive, And I really have nothing specific to complain about that has happened. Mm-hmm. Knock on wood. Um, but, you know, a two, a two, I think the two-week mark is like your the fear mark. And then, if I recall, then as it gets closer... 
it's like you just are in it and you're excited because it's happening. Is your, and people start to read it that you know and can tell you about yeah. reading it. And that is such a beautiful feeling to have people yeah. feedback. And I don't know. I like that part. Oh, I mean, I yeah. wrote it so people would read it. So, it's, As your publisher and publicist... I guess, how is the the run-up to this from them differ from the run-up to the last one? Well, in an now that you know, you're hanging out with Brett Easton Ellis and all this, <laughs> yeah. Jill um, dad. In an interesting turn of events, I have a different publisher now. Oh. Mm, yes. I did not realize that. Did you uh, trade up or across? I traded up. Nice. <laughs> well, Little Brown didn't like this book as much as I had hoped they would hmm. like it. I had 100 pages and they, I think they just were surprised by it mm-hmm. because it is really different from California but I don't really know what they were expecting and I kind of planned to write different kinds of books. How could it be similar? I mean, another I mean, dystopian that's what my agent vision? Or like yeah, and, and really? they said no but I just don't know if they thought this book was, I don't know. Uh-huh. So they just weren't thrilled about it so we took it elsewhere. and we So it's being published by Hogarth mm-hmm. Crown and they have been just over. I mean, it was just almost like they. It was almost like Little Brown and Hogarth had read two different books, yeah. in terms of how they felt about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was the first hundred pages, so there's um, that was also in the back of my mind. I was like, well, Little Brown didn't love this book. I mean, they, mm-hmm. you know, it was, and we did, we parted ways amicably. It wasn't mm-hmm. like this was right. a horrible thing. And I always have positive thing feelings about Little Brown mm-hmm. and the people I worked with there. I mean, I'm still sad about my publicist. <laughs> I love her, Carrie Neal. If you're listening, I love you. Oh, um, so nice. But you know, Hogarth just have they've been thrilled about it, and so they, you know, the run up has been really smooth. And I recognize that they are putting a lot of energy into the book. I'm not. Yeah, so how, I mean, how does it feel different from being a first-time author who's not an afterthought, but like, yeah, it'd be great if this sold some copies, to like, all right, we're depending on this book. Yeah. Well, this is our big tent. Yeah. I can definitely notice, I mean, what's in my mind from Little Brown is the Colbert stuff, so I was like their hot ticket for a while, so I remember that. But I remember at the beginning, I mean, they were all, what's funny is I, even at Little Brown, I had two publicists. I had my publicist and her assistant, and they were, so I never felt like I was an afterthought there ever, even before that. Um, But it is interesting thinking about how when you're a second time author, second, when you're second book, you can really use the first book i mean it just just reminds you how hard it is to be a debut writer i mean in some ways you get more you get some stuff because you're the day your sexy debut and the second book is harder most people feel that way especially literary writers that they kind of got the push and if the first book didn't really make a splash they're an afterthought in a big way yeah so it's true i just try i'm like i just try to be really grateful to everybody for working hard on it and right the best of us. Try is. not to freak out that it will never happen again. <laughs> because that's even. I, what's funny is like I think every writer feels that. Like, is this the beginning of something or the end of something? Or is it lightning me? in a yes. bottle? Yeah. And that can be, I think, the daunting part of the second book yeah. for a that's lot of why people. You start another book before the book comes it's out. Such so good advice. And that's sort of the hard part you. about a career in the arts is it, it doesn't really have an arc. You yeah. know, my wife's been in biotech for 20, however many years, and there's been a definite arc. She's climbed the ladder. Yeah. Whereas you started with a huge first novel. We'll see what the second novel yeah, does. going to go even higher, guys. Gonna keep What's going. Bigger, bigger, though, bigger. And it's hard to remember is if it's not as big, it might be a better book still. Right. And the future will know that. Yeah. And so it's worth it to do the work itself. Yeah, that's what I keep coming back to. It's yeah. like the pub- I mean, publishing and publicity, that takes a couple months out of the year, and it's a big part of your sort of like psychic 
energy. Right. But the work is what is taking up all the rest of our time right. and is what matters to me. And I really enjoyed writing this book, I mean, for the most part. And I'm really into writing my new book, and I feel like my career is long. So, right. you know, it's one of right. those things where somebody has a hit, and then, you know, they're publishing good books, and then they suddenly have another hit ah. 10 years later. Like, I think about, like, Anne Patchett, for instance. Right. I'm not, I'm not trying to compare myself to... Miss Paget, but she had Bel Canto, and then I think she had a couple books after that that weren't like huge. Right, and now you look at Commonwealth, and it's like, and also State of Wonder. So it's just kind of interesting to see how these authors just stay in the game, and they're just writing, and they're doing good work. And if you're a fan of theirs, you can depend on them to put out. And it's so nice as a reader to have writers like that in your in your I don't know cart. Yeah. The, quiver in your quiver. <laughs> I mean, you to always have someone you look forward to. What are they going to write yeah. next? And, yeah. and Patch is yeah. definitely one of those yeah. writers. And, uh, you know, or and, and I, I don't. I didn't mean to like put out like an international best-selling author as an example. <laughs> she was first to come to mind, but but I, you know, um, it used to be much more. I think maybe twenty or thirty years ago that someone could just have a long career of steady good books. Mm-hmm. I think about someone like Alison Lurie who people don't read that much yeah. anymore, maybe. But um, she wrote so many great novels. I don't know. Maybe some of them were bestsellers. I have no idea. Or Diane Johnson, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, there is something just so noble about doing great work. Yeah. And it really matters to people. Those people matter to me as a reader it's a true. lot. Well, it's do you true. think it's financial? I mean, do you think, I mean, there was a time when you could make a good living writing short stories. Yeah, I know. And you really can't anymore. And it's changed the arc of people's careers. A good, you could make an okay living being a midlist writer. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that time is far gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Um, shoot, and I was going to I know. Movies? Movies. Yeah, is there a movie? Oh, didn't you get optioned? California's been optioned. It's been optioned since before it came out. Oh. Time. Mm. It's been optioned to be a, a, a TV show, Oh, actually. that I could see, yeah. And... Who knows? It would be like it, lost or been, something. Yeah, it's been optioned as a, to have a to be a pilot. As an LA person, would you want to be involved in that? No, I have no interest. I, I mean, I, maybe eventually someday I would be interested in working on something that's not my source material. But I find the idea of adapting my own work. Now, really, maybe later if they throw enough dollar bills at me, I'll change my mind. But the idea of adapting my prose for the screen—it just seems like it seems. I think it was Annie Dillard who said like. Books that have like a movie, you can see the movie mm-hmm. behind them have like a stink to them, mm-hmm. and I would be afraid that a I would stink to them. Well, I would be afraid that I was writing prose with the plan for it to be a movie, right? Cinematic prose. Yeah, I mean, I like cinematic prose. I've done it sometimes, but the idea I have read stuff where I'm like, this person just wants us to be a movie. And so I wanted yeah. to exist first as a book, and then I am wholly believe that somebody else could make it into something as a different art form, but I don't want to be the person to do that transition. It My seems favorite like movies and television shows based on books use those things as jumping off points yeah. and are not faithful reproductions yes. generally. Well, good, there's a few exceptions. Good books are hard to make into good movies. Okay books make really good movies. You know what's a good book and a good movie? It just occurred to me as I said the statement that I don't like them to be the same is A Room with a View. Oh, That's a yeah, good movie and a good book. That are, short stories make good movies. And those, yeah. Yeah, and isn't that interesting? Not Raymond Carver's short stories, though. But I like Jesus the Son, the movie. Oh, which is a, that's a great movie. So good and such a good story. And I just saw um, the I Love Dick, the TV show. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's, is that good? I've seen the first episode, and I for I interviewed this is on, I interviewed Kevin Bacon for Esquire. 
it's out now. Hey, so I got, oh. they let me watch. Guess what? That means episode. we are one degree of separation <laughs> from Kevin Bacon. But I was able to watch the second episode, which isn't on, but it will be available by the time the podcast. And that is great. And they have done what you say is they've taken it as right. inspiration and taken like the best parts of it and then made it more accessible and big, more dramatic mm-hmm. for the screen, for the small screen. So as we we're coming yes. here to uh, wrap up time, but I just wanted to get a sense of uh, other than sitting in your garret working on your novels, mm-hmm. uh, I know you do some other stuff as well. Yes. Why don't you share with us how you fill your time? I have children, and they suck all the life out of me. Yep. <laughs> I have a five-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. Wow. Temporary. So I write, it's so amazing, though. One day I'll be crying be like, why can't I have the time back? And right now I'm like, please pass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, so I have my daughter twice a week, and I have three days to write, and I pick up my son after school, etc. Um, I, I don't run it anymore, but I'm a, the founder of Writing Workshops Los Angeles, mm-hmm. which is a small private writing school in L.A. I used to run it, and then I was the co-director, and now I just am the founder. I'm the director of special projects, which means nothing. Whatever, whatever you <laughs> which want. Which I'm like, I would Emeritus. like to create. You know, I have ideas. I'm like a lady who lunches, who has ideas for things. Mm-hmm. And then you make it so. Yeah. You work on personal wellness. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but I hope when I move back down to L.A. that I do more with that. Like, I'd like to teach a little bit more because I cool. have a novel group through that. that are, you, are you still writing for The Millions? I, do, I am a staff writer for The Millions. I By contract or whatever the word is, I'm supposed to write two pieces a month, but I've been slow for wow, that Wow, that is a lot. Yes. I, last last month I, in, I did an interview with Jamie Attenberg and one with Danchon, which were really, mm-hmm. I like to do interviews. Um, but book reviews tend to take like 30 hours to write and then... Right. They're very painful Music reviews are better. <laughs> Movies, too. It's so hard to write. I would assume those are hard to write as well. I know. It sounds so hard. I used to do a lot of music, and um, <clears throat> the hard part is not using stupid words. Because there's, that's like, music is that's music hard. is almost like food. Like, I can't read restaurant reviews because yeah. they use oh, the same yeah. stupid words. Yeah. And music, yeah. you can run out of adjectives. Oh, yeah. And you should never cross-pollinate, like, call music delicious. <laughs> I call fiction that Yuck. sometimes. That it seems different. Okay. I don't know. I don't mind do that because some that fiction, like even even uh, Woman Number Seventeen, it feels like, yeah, man, this is like a good meal. I can really dig <laughs> into agree. this. You it know, is like a good meal. This is great. Yeah, good. Good. yeah. Well, it has like different courses. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't like to be limited. In <clears throat> That's about it for us. We're oh, just about out of time. You can you. tell because what is the temperature in here? It's very hot. It's it's about three hundred. Like <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's really fun. You get a little Thank sauna you so action much for and you know. You have so much you're gearing up for. It's really an honor to have you. Come yeah, and thanks for so making the time. Letting me test out. And you are our first non-grotto <gasps> interview. Oh, so it's gosh. definitely no, an it's honor. That's really cool. This is a really amazing. Eden, can you tell our listeners how they can find you? You can find me at EdenLepucky.com, E-D-A-N-L-E-P-U-C-K-I, or on Twitter at, at EdenL, E-D-A-N-L. It's with an A. Yes. It's with an A. Which is good. That sets you apart yeah. <clears throat> from and all the other EDs. Here's your joke time. Here's my joke time, and oh, now you'll find out why. Uh-oh, yeah, here it is. Um, you can follow me at that Larry Rose, and then as soon as I'm done here, I'm going to go post my other podcast, Is It Good for the Jews? You can find us at isitgoodforthejews.com. As for the Grotto Pod, grottopod.com, which we keep forgetting to tell people. Right. That's and the new website. I also want to tell people that we need to thank our producers, Lori Ann Doyle, Beth Weingarner, and Lee Kravitz. Thank you. And thank you to Sugartown for the cool tunes. Yeah. Uh, follow us at 
The Grotto Pod. And you can follow me at, at Bequintrust. Why not? Do we leave anything else? I don't think so. Email us. Oh, why not? Grotto Pod. Somebody email us. Nobody emails us. Com. Is email a, a dated You know who emails us? Email people at the Grotto. Yeah. Grotto people. You it's can like just an, email it's, me. It's, um, you know. it's the world's tiniest echo chamber. Yeah. BQ, take us home. All right. Grotto Land. Read, write, and just keep working like Eden LaPucky does. All she does is work. Yes, it's awesome. No, she works, she plays, she, she mothers. She takes care of the kids. She yeah. kicks ass. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.